When it comes to, I want to talk this morning a little bit about church and the law, or laws, or the laws of the land. And I found this out this week that sometimes, you may know this or not know this, but there are some strange laws sometimes on some of the books when it comes to church and laws. And I looked up a few of them this week that aren't really from around here, but if you visit any of these places, you may want to keep these in mind. Um, For example, these are still laws on the books in our country. If you visit Wheeler, Mississippi you'd want to know that young girls are never allowed to walk a tightrope in Wheeler, Mississippi, unless it's in a church. Like, I want to wonder, like, where these laws came from. Like, at some point, they're like, okay, no tightrope walking. Okay, but in church, you can. Uh, Somebody, I don't know why, where they came about. But here's one, Blackwater, Kentucky. Tickling a woman under her chin with a feather duster while she's in church service carries a $10 penalty and one day in jail. So, there you go. Uh, In uh, Oregon, the town in Oregon, no one can eat unshelled roasted peanuts while attending church. Uh, In Honey Creek, Iowa, no one is permitted... I think I know where this one came from. No one is permitted to carry a slingshot to church except a policeman. And I just got to think there were too many David and Goliath stories and kids were bringing slingshots in and they're like, all right, new law. No slingshots. Like the policemen, though, are carrying slingshots in Honey Creek, Iowa, I guess. So I don't know. Uh, No citizen in Lee Creek, Arkansas is allowed to attend church in any red-colored garment. I didn't know what that was about until someone came up to me after the first service and said they grew up in a tradition where red was the color of the devil. So you could not wear red to church. So maybe that explains that. Uh, Studley, Virginia, if you visit there, no swinging a yo-yo in church or actually anywhere in public on the Sabbath. Prohibited. This is the final one and probably the one I find the most interesting in Slaughter, Louisiana. Turtle races are not permitted within 100 yards of a local church at any time. I don't know. I, I, all I can think is somebody had a gambling problem, put a lot of money on the turtles, and now they're in church, and they say no turtle races near church. I don't know. But sometimes laws and church, some of those are a bit funny and strange, of course. But what about when law and church aren't funny? What about times when law and church, the laws of the land, and the worship of God actually come into conflict? It happens at times. What if the law and your worship of God, or even gathering today like this in church, came into conflict? This happens at times in the culture even that we live in that that happens. Maybe it's not even a law on the books, but maybe it's just pressure that you feel that almost feels like a law. Like when you do something or say something that is in alignment with your faith, but not accepted in the culture, and you almost feel like you broke a law. Uh, Something like that. Uh, Maybe not the faith component per se, but I thought it was interesting this past week, maybe you saw the story of former Vice President Joe Biden, uh, who uh, had the audacity to say of the current Vice President, Mike Pence, that he thought he was a decent guy. 
And just that comment, and it was actually talking about his foreign policy, and then he got, took a lot of heat from uh, people uh, talking about the fact that uh, Mike Pence uh, doesn't have an agreement with their stance on things. And so he had to walk back his comments of saying someone was a decent guy and apologize for those. And I thought, what is the world that we live in when you feel that kind of pressure that something as innocuous as saying that someone's a decent guy happens to feel that kind of pressure on someone. And I wonder that all of us don't at times feel that kind of pressure in your life, in your workplace, in your school, maybe even in your home. Well, this morning we come to a story in the book of Daniel that talks about that, when the laws of the land and your faith come into conflict. Now, when we started the book of Daniel back in February, some of you may have been very familiar with the book of Daniel. Others are going, I think that's the guy that gets thrown in the lion's den. And you've been waiting because maybe that's the one story you knew from Daniel. And we started Daniel and you're like, oh, we're in these kings and fiery furnaces. And last week we're talking about handwriting on a wall. When are we getting to the lion's den? Well, this is your day. Today, we get to Daniel in the lion's den. And I want you to be able to hear the entire story this morning um, about what happens with Daniel. If you've heard it before, then this is a refresher and you'll get to hear it again. If you've never heard this story before, and I had someone come up to me in the first service and say, I have been in uh, churches throughout my life and I have never heard that story of scripture before. And if you've never heard this before, I am a little bit jealous of you because hearing this story for the first time of what happens to Daniel and the account that that, ha- that happens is an exciting story of what God has done and is able to do. So Daniel chapter 6, you can open up your Bibles, you can follow along as the gentlemen read, or you can just listen as the word of God is read for you, Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, And over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then... The high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction, that whoever makes petition to any god or man... For thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. 
Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered, and they said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. 
I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The perfect word of God. Amen. Thank you. Pretty amazing story if you've never heard it before. Pretty amazing story if you've heard it a hundred times before. This is the account of Daniel. We're in about 5, 530s B.C. is the time period we're in. There's a new king. So if you've been with us in uh, this book, from the first chapter we met Daniel, he was a young man just taken out of Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. And uh, he was a young man at that time, brought in and educated. At this point in chapter 6, he's actually, or many decades later, um, he's somewhere I've in Scholars, as they look at this, I've heard some as young as his early 70s, and then some say as old as mid-80s. But he is not young Daniel of the first chapter. He is a seasoned, older man who has walked with God in the ways of God for many years. A new king comes to power. God has been proving himself as king of kings and, and as the ultimate God to all these other kings, so now how would he prove it? to this new king. This new king, Darius, is more of a benevolent king. Uh, He sets up some rulers, 120 of these satraps, and then three uh, official rulers over them, and Daniel's one of the three. But he's more of a benevolent king because he lets some of the exiles go home. Those that have been taken away from their home of Jerusalem, he actually lets them start to go back to their home city. They're still subjects of Persia, uh, but he lets them go home. But Daniel doesn't go. And you got to figure, it's either one of two things. Either he could go and didn't want to go and stayed in the position that God had placed him, or he was so valued for who he did, for what he did and for his work that, he, that the king wouldn't allow him to go, that he had to stay. Either one speaks of an impressive aspect of Daniel's character. Either he was so committed to the Lord's work, even in a foreign land, that he stuck it out, or he was so valued that he wasn't allowed to leave. This is Daniel in his secular workplace. It speaks volumes about him. Uh, What about you in your secular workplace, perhaps? Uh, Would the same be said of you that she is so valuable, you can't let her go? Or he is so valuable, don't let him go to another group. That you would be such a diligent worker, so uh, expert in your field. This is my prayer for you. Whenever anyone asks me, 
Uh, and some of you have at times asked me to pray for your work, whether it's your current job situation or sometimes praying for a new job situation. My prayer is always that God will not just give you a place of provision, but will give you a place of purpose. And that God will make you excellent in the work that you do. And he will bless you beyond your education and beyond your experience. And elevate you in the place such that you have favor with those you work for and those you work with. So that they can look at you and say, there is something about them that is different. The way that they work. And there was something about Daniel that was different. Because even though he was a foreigner... He was set to be put over the entire empire. The Persian officials didn't like it too much. These other 122 people weren't too crazy about it. Because now here's a foreigner that's going to get put over them. I I just, you know, I thought about this and I thought, well, maybe it's kind of like, you know, someone coming from a complete another part of the country... I don't know where, you know, somewhere where maybe they have, uh, they come from a complete other part of the country, maybe they have a deep accent from someplace else, and they come in and they're put in charge of a local union in Boston. And I don't know how that goes, but I'd imagine that they're looked at as kind of an outsider. What are you doing here? Who are you to tell us what to do? What do you know about us and our life and living here? Why did you get this position and I didn't get it? I think that's exactly what these officials are thinking. They're thinking, we got to get this Daniel guy out. But they say, there's no way we're going to get him out on a character flaw. There's no way we're going to get him out on anything having to do with his actual work. And I wonder about that about us too. Could that same thing be said about us? That you are so diligent in your work that if someone was trying to set you up for an upset, and that's what's going on here, they're trying to set Daniel up, and they want to set him up to fail, that you would be so diligent about your work, your life, and your character, that the only way someone would be able to set you up as if what they came up with with Daniel is only if it has something to do with his faith. Only if his faith comes into conflict with something else, because we know he won't compromise on that. So if his faith comes into conflict with his work, we know we can get him there. And I wonder if the same thing could sometimes be said about us. She's so committed to her. He won't even take a pencil from work. He's so committed that there is not a flaw that could be found that if somebody wanted to set you up, the only way they could do it is through your faith. That's the, way, that's the situation Daniel was in. So they, these 122 or so others, they connive and they set up and they put this edict before Darius. And they say, we think you should sign this. We all think you should sign this. Now they're lying because Daniel was one of the three and he wouldn't have thought that the king should sign this. But they put it before him and they said, we all think you should sign this. And uh, kings being, I suppose, as kings are, kind of thinking very highly of themselves. and Oh, no one should pray to anyone else but me for 30 days? Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Let's go with, let's go with, if you guys insist, you know, we'll go with that. And so he signs it. And he says, no one can pray to anyone else but him for 30 days. They were setting up Daniel. And the penalty was you would get thrown into a den of lions, which is not familiar in our day and age, but it was, as you can imagine, 
basically capital punishment that you get thrown to the lions. Uh, lions are uh, notoriously not kind to people who get thrown to them, especially when they're hungry. And on a bit of an unfortunate story from this recent last couple weeks, there's a man that kept a pet lion, uh, not recommended, uh, because the reason it's a news story this past week is because they found him in his backyard mauled by his pet lion. Because though you may call it a pet, it is still a lion. And lions do lion things. And the lion at one point killed this young man, this Czech man, uh, from that. Uh, and we would expect that to happen. And you would expect that if a person gets thrown into a pit of lions, that they would also be killed. So this is Daniel's would you rather. Would you rather worship your God, pray to your God, or get thrown into a pit of lions? That's your choice. That's his choice. The pressure's on. You feel the pressure in your culture. Okay, you don't face a den of lions, but you face pressure. You know it. You face it when you're standing around in a group of friends and a topic comes up. And you know just by the tone of the conversation what everybody else thinks about it. And you also know that based on your worldview and your worship of God and your understanding of God's word that you don't agree with what's being said. And you feel the pressure in that moment. Do you say something or don't you? And if you don't, why don't you? It's pressure. It's felt in larger places in our society, in our world too. A few years ago, the mayor of Houston tried to get a bunch of pastors to turn in their sermons to the city and to the mayor to see and to uh, basically approve that what they were saying from their pulpits was in a line with government policy. They didn't end up having to do it, but even the ask tells you something of where our world and our culture and our society is. Uh, even students in our own church at times when they've wanted to have a Bible study in their school or even just prayer at the flagpole, have faced some resistance and opposition at times. Another recent story from this last week, uh, a professor at a New Jersey university uh, was uh, a dean, actually, at this university, resigned over a kind of a strange thing, but uh, over a restaurant choice for the school. Uh, the school was deciding which restaurant should we bring on campus. And they sent out surveys to the students. And the first survey went out and had a bunch of different restaurants on it, of which one of them was Chick-fil-A. The second survey that went out to students again didn't have Chick-fil-A on it. The dean uh, went and said, you know, what's, you know, what happened? You know, what, why isn't Chick-fil-A on this? And the response given was, well, their values don't align with our values as a university. And this dean at this university said, well, their values actually that you're talking about are my values. And she ended up resigning from her post as a dean at the university. Pressure that's felt, maybe it's not a law, Maybe it's not a den of lions, but there's pressure. Some of you heard the last recently about the masterpiece uh, cake baker out in Colorado 
He's faced pressure to force, whether he should be forced to use his art to, to have to bake a cake in celebration of things that were not in accordance with his faith and beliefs. Now, he won the case in these cases, and religious liberty has been held up recently, but for how long? I don't know. How long is it before you or I are faced with that kind of decision? Would you rather? Maybe not the lion's den, but maybe your job. Would you rather? And here's what Daniel is faced with. It happens at our workplaces, our schools. For some, it happens in your home, maybe. Uh, that uh, the idea is communicated to you either clearly or maybe subversively, this idea, this pressure that uh, you can follow Jesus and you can follow God, but keep it in your church and in your own mind. Don't bring it out into the public square. And yet the call in the Bible is that our faith should impact every area of our life and the love of God through Christ, which has transformed us should be shared for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. And so here's the tension. God says, share this. And the world says, keep it private. And so what do you do? God says, share this. This is something not for you to keep to yourselves. In fact, it's something for the people around you. And the world says, keep it to yourself. Keep it private. And so there's a tension that we live with. What do you do? How do you face this pressure? Well, in the example of Daniel, I think we can see what he did. In Daniel is this, when the pressure is on, be disciplined in displays of devotion. Be disciplined in your displays of devotion. Look at verse 10 of Daniel chapter 6. Here's what it says. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Say these five words with me. As he had done previously. As he had done previously. Daniel wasn't going to change. The law had changed. The world, in a sense, had changed, but Daniel wasn't going to change. Daniel committed to, as he had done previously, being disciplined in his devotion to God. And so he went up to his room where he had been praying for years, for decades, probably. He opened the windows where everyone could see him and did what he always did. He prayed, prayed to his God, and he prayed toward Jerusalem. He prayed for the city that he longed for and that he loved. Daniel obeyed God's commands and honored his conviction. He obeyed God's command in that he did not violate the second commandment, which says, don't pray to any other God but me. So he did, but he also did not violate his conviction. He had this conviction that he would pray three times a day. That's not in the Bible that you have to pray three times a day. It's not in the Bible that you have to pray towards Jerusalem. That was strictly his conviction. But he wasn't going to change his conviction based on the law of the land. He prayed towards Jerusalem because that was his heart. 
It's kind of like when missionaries come through and they give you their prayer cards. We ask you to take them so that you can look at them and pray for them and your heart can go out to them as you pray for them. It was the same thing for that. Daniel opened the windows, looks towards Jerusalem and his heart is focused on the city that he longs to be in and that he longs to see rebuilt. It's his conviction. He certainly wasn't going to violate a command of God. But he also wasn't going to violate his conviction because he knew there was something bigger on the line than just this conflict between him and these other guys. Here's what Daniel knew. He knew that to hide would have been to say, your God is greater than my God. Because what he could have done, it would not have violated a single command of God if he went up to his upper room And just didn't open the window that time. Kept the curtains drawn. Still prayed. But didn't open the window. That wouldn't have violated any of God's commands. But he knew something else was on the line. He knew what was on the line was a battle between the gods of the Medes and the Persians and his God. And he would be saying that your God is greater than my God, so I'll keep the curtains closed. So I'll keep the window shut. So I won't say anything. This is, as John Piper says, a daring, defiant, and disciplined prayer life. It's daring. He knows what's on the line. It's the lions if he does this. It's defiant. He knows the law of the land. And he is intentionally defying it. And it is disciplined because he had been doing this all his life. John Golden Gay says this way with prayer. When prayer is fashionable, it's time to pray in secret. But when prayer is under pressure, to pray in secret is to give the appearance of fearing the king more than God. And so you pray. Where are you tempted to shut the windows and give in to the pressure is the question that we have to wrestle with today. Where is it in your life? It's not a third floor place like Daniel is looking out to this. It's not that. But there's somewhere. Where are you tempted to live differently with your faith than you would if maybe you were in a different setting of people? Where are you tempted to shut the curtains? Where are you tempted to close the window? Where are you tempted to close your mouth? Where are we tempted? Where the pressure's on to not live for God the way we would because of the pressure around us. Daniel Aiken says that Christian character is not forged in the moment of adversity. Christian character is revealed in the moment of adversity. Make no mistake about it. This Daniel didn't wake up one day and decide, oh, I think I'll choose the lions over, worshiping, uh, over not worshiping God. This is an 85-year-old man who throughout his life has made decision after decision after decision after decision to follow what God has said. And when you do that long enough, when something like this comes down, it's a no-brainer. I already know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I always did. I'm going to continue to follow God in the decisions I make, continue to put him first, continue to worship him. I am not going to bow to anyone else but God. 
The pressure is on, but he knows there's something much larger on the line. If he were to close his windows, he's saying, your God is greater than my God. But he sticks to his character and his conviction, and he will not compromise. He's disciplined in his display of devotion, but secondly, we also trust God for deliverance. And Daniel trusted God for his deliverance. Daniel knew it wasn't his job to deliver himself. He could have shut the window, but he didn't. Trusted God for his deliverance. And sometimes you'll have to do that too. That if you say what you know God wants you to say, might cost you something. It will at some point cost you something. But will you trust God for your deliverance? Will you trust God? that he will carry you through, that he will honor your step of faith and your commitment to him. Daniel trusted God for his deliverance. It's interesting to me that Darius, who did not want Daniel killed, he knew he'd been tricked. He knew he'd been used. He knew he'd been played. But he couldn't get out of it because the law of the Medes and the Persians in this time was irrevocable. No way to veto it. He looked for it. There wasn't one. So they come to him by the end of the day. Hey, look. Here's the law, got to be done by sundown, got to be done by the end of the day, you got to do it. So he does it, but it's interesting, he says to Daniel, may the God who you worship save you. Darius's only hope is the same as Daniel's only hope, his God. Daniel trusted God for deliverance and there was no doubt that God had done so because when he comes out Darius yells in and it says with anguish because he really doesn't have a lot of faith and what he's expecting to hear is some lions licking their chops and instead he hears Daniel call out to him call out to him as the king and say that he is unharmed and God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions and then Darius does something remarkable. Darius worships Daniel's God. I make a decree that in my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Darius doesn't worship Daniel. Darius worships Daniel's God. When we miss the opportunity to point to God and say that God did this, when God does come through, people won't know who to give the praise to. And they may praise you. They may say, oh, you're really lucky. Or they may say to you, ah, things always seem to work out for you, huh? But if you all along are saying, my trust is in God, through this time, I trust God. Through this difficulty, I'm trust. I don't know how you're getting through. I'm trusting God. I believe this blessing is from God. That in that moment, Darius knew who he was supposed to give the credit to. And it wasn't Daniel. It was Daniel's God. So trust God for your deliverance. But what about the times he doesn't deliver? Because there are some who might tell you and might preach to you and might say, look, if you trust God, anytime you find yourself face to face with lions, God will always shut their mouths. 
But there's a problem with this logic, isn't there? The problem is names like Stephen and Jim Elliot and other people who have martyred and given their life for their faith. That sometimes, as Hebrews 11 says, God shuts the mouths of the lions. And sometimes people are killed by the sword. Now the same God that can shut the mouth of a lion, can he not stay the steel of a sword? Of course he could. But sometimes he chooses not to. But our trust is not in a God who simply delivers us from lions, but our trust is in a God who is God who delivers us from ultimate death that we're facing. Don't be foolish. Apparently, there's no lack of lion stories. A 2006 St. Petersburg lioness kills man who tested God in a Kiev zoo. A man encountered an animal on purpose, believing that God would protect him. A zoo official said to the man, said the man lowered himself by a rope into a concrete enclosure holding four lions. He was shouting, God will save me if he exists. The man took off his shoes and strode toward the animals. One of the lionesses came to him to meet him. She knocked him down and quickly severed his carotid artery. Not advised. Uh, Zoo officials stated that the incident which occurred in front of a large crowd was the first of its kind. This passage is not encouraging foolishness. It's not encouraging you to test God. But it is encouraging us to trust God. But don't trust God just to save you from the lions. Daniel didn't trust in God in order to be saved from the lions. He was saved from the lions by the God in whom he trusted. There's a big difference there. Daniel didn't trust God because he just wanted to be saved from the lions. He was saved from the lions by the God in whom he trusted. If death by lion was Daniel's biggest concern, he could have just closed the windows. He could have handled it himself. He could have just shut the curtains for the next 30 days. That's all it was. Just close the window for 30 days. Just don't let anyone see you. But death by lion was not his primary concern. His primary concern was his God and proper worship of his God. And he would not compromise on that. It's two truths to remember. First, God works in a way that will bring him the greatest glory. In this case, shutting the mouths of the lions brought God the greatest glory. May not always be that way. Stephen was martyred. He was the first martyr of the Christian church. Could not God have saved him? Of course he could have, but he didn't. It was the way that God got the greatest glory in that time. And Stephen wasn't, knew that that wasn't his biggest fear, was his physical life being taken from him. In the end, Daniel, if you gauge his measure as an evangelist, uh, reaching people, in the end, he really only reached two people his entire life in Babylon that we know of. He really only had two people in Babylon as a result of his life who said, yes, Daniel, your God is God. They happened to be two kings, Nebuchadnezzar 
and Darius, two important people, but everyone else hated them. Everyone else was trying to set them up and take them down. But he stayed faithful to God. And he reached these two people who at least, on the words of their whips, worshipped the God that he had pointed to. There are times when God will shut the mouths of lions to bring glory to himself. There are other times, like we heard from Ann Stewart last October in our Global Outreach Emphasis, her and her husband Stan, you remember, were on the mission field in Turkey and Stan came down with cancer. And Stan really felt that God had told him, you're not going to be healed of this. And I want you to die faithfully in front of these people that I have called you to so that they can see how a person who has faith in Jesus not only lives, but dies. He felt God had said, Stan, I'm going to receive more glory by you not being healed of this cancer, that more people will come to me as a result of this. And so they wrote this book, Dying Out Loud. And he very publicly stayed on the mission field and stayed in that place and is buried in that land. And the locals watched how a person faithfully trusts God whether he shuts the mouth of the lion or not. Their trust and faith is in God. God works in a way that will bring him the greatest glory. Secondly, deliverance with God is ultimately not about this world. It's not. It's ultimately not about this world. Your life in this world is short in comparison to eternity. Derek Lam is a courageous young Christian leader living in Hong Kong. And in August 2017, in an article for the New York Times, he wrote about the suppression of human rights for Christians in China. Lam wrote, since I was 16 years old, I have wanted to be a pastor. I was raised in a Christian family in Hong Kong that urged me to live by biblical principles. Those biblical principles have also informed my democratic activism for these past six years, and it is for that reason that I am likely to be jailed next month, and I will be barred from ever becoming a pastor. Lamb provides examples of what he calls an unprecedented erosion of religious freedom in Hong Kong, especially for Christians. Believers forced to worship in underground churches, the government tearing down church buildings, the only way to avoid trouble, Lamb says, is for churches to stay quiet and small or to bow down to the current leader of China, Xi Jinping. But Lamb boldly declares, I will not make Jesus bow down to Xi Jinping. He concludes, although there is nothing I would love more than to become a pastor or preach the gospel in Hong Kong. I will never do so if it means making Jesus subservient to Xi Jinping. Instead, I will continue to fight for religious freedom in Hong Kong, even if I have to do it from behind bars. What I ask of you is to keep Hong Kong in your prayers as we seek to find light amid the sea of darkness descending on us. That was August of 2017. As I've followed the stories, things have only gotten worse in China for Christians. Uh, the crackdown on churches and those who have put their faith and trust in Christ has gotten worse. Yes, it's China, but it seems a lot closer now than it used to, doesn't it? 
that laws that once protected and once were, didn't feel like there was much pressure. Suddenly we live in a world and a society where that kind of pressure is not too far-fetched to imagine. Deliverance with God, though, is ultimately not about this world but the next. God may not deliver every person from harm in the moment, but he has delivered every person who trusts in him. Daniel was sentenced to death, put in the den, and a stone rolled in place. And he emerged from this place of death alive, and so the king worshiped God. Jesus was sentenced to death and put in a tomb and a stone rolled in place, yet he emerged from this place of death alive, and so we worship God. Daniel was sentenced to death and raised to new life. Jesus was sentenced to death and raised to new life. And you and I are sentenced to death because of our sin, but raised to new life in Jesus Christ. Daniel's answer to the king was that he was found blameless before God and the king and his life was spared. Jesus was blameless before God, the true king, but his life was not spared so that you and I could be seen as blameless before God through our trust in him. No matter what happens in this world, you have already been delivered through your faith in Christ. I'm gonna ask our music ministry to return and we're gonna close out our service by taking a time to respond to God's word. How do you keep your head up? What do you do under pressure? You stay disciplined in your display of devotion. You trust God for your deliverance. You recognize that God is going to act in God's greatest glory. You recognize that the ultimate deliverance is not about your physical deliverance from this world, but is about an eternal deliverance in your trust in God. You keep your head up, your eyes focused on Him. You remain diligent in your displays of devotion. Keep praying, keep reading God's Word. Keep listening to the songs that bring you into God's presence. Keep gathering with other believers who will strengthen you. Keep your eyes on the horizon where you can see the kingdom of God is established and eternity has promised you there. Find time to pray, read the Bible. For if you stop looking ahead and start looking down, you will quickly tire and give in. Where are you pressured into closing the curtain? Where are you feeling that pressure? Where do you need God to strengthen you? The team's going to sing, and I want to just take the last couple minutes we have together and respond to this message by opening up these altars. And if you are here and you're feeling this pressure and you know that God has called you to stand up, you know that God has called you to take a stronger stance, but you also know it's going to take trust in Him for you to do that, we want to pray for you. And so if you want to come and kneel and spend time in God's presence, we'll come and we'll pray for you, that God will strengthen you in the place where he has put you, that workplace, that school classroom, that family situation, that relationship, wherever it is that you know that God is calling you to do what Daniel did, not to compromise, but to stay true to your convictions, stay true to the commands of God 
but you know it's going to mean standing up under some pressure and you're feeling that and here's the good news you don't have to do it on your own God's Holy Spirit lives within you and he will give you the strength to live you the, to live the life he has called you to live so wherever it is you are tempted to close the curtain come this morning ask God for the strength to keep that window open and to keep that stand and that consistent character in life for him Father thank you for Daniel thank you for his life thank you for the amazing miracle that you worked that testified to even the greatest king of his time that you are God Lord it still testifies to us that you are God and yet we still at times fear we still at times struggle and so Lord I pray as we pray that you would strengthen us to live for you to stand for you keep the windows open wherever you have placed us. So I pray for men and women here who are under pressure as they come to you in prayer. Would you lead them in strength?